Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome into a very special um, bonus episode of In Session. We're going to talk with Danielle E. Gaines, uh, the Frederick News Post political reporter. Yeah, extraordinaire. I think extraordinaire is a good word. Well, thank you. Uh, she spent <laughs> a day this week at the Supreme Court. Um, and we're going to we're going to talk about what was heard there and what she learned. I know you've got to have tons of fascinating nuggets from your time there, which we'll talk about. <laughs> uh, first of all, I do want to say this. If you're hearing this before our week 12 wrap up of In Session, uh, that episode is one episode back in your feed. You just have to click elsewhere. It's there. We promise. It was probably the strongest one of the year, too. I think that might have been the best in session. So you don't want to. <laughs> You don't want to miss that. But uh, if we can set this up, and uh, Danielle, why did you go to the Supreme Court? Uh, what was going on? Yeah, well, of course, this is something that we've talked about at length in this podcast is the um, the claim by Republican voters in the 6th and 8th districts that the 6th district is unconstitutionally, partisanly gerrymandered. Mm-hmm. And this is a case that's been winding its way through the federal court system since 2013, shortly after the first election was held, um, after the district lines were redrawn after the 2010 census. It's a lot of afters. A lot of afters. (laughs) And so this case uh, made its way up to the Supreme Court this week. And so I was there. Uh, Gerrymandering, of course, is the act of of moving voters from one district to another or drawing district lines in a way that creates an, a political advantage or or you could also say disadvantages voters based on something. Um, sometimes there's racial gerrymandering, sometimes there's political gerrymandering. So set the scene for us, Danielle, because you were there. So you can. I can't. You can. Uh, who are the plaintiffs and who are the defendants in something like this? So the the plaintiffs in this case are um, voters from the 6th and the 8th. It includes three residents of Frederick County who are all registered Republican voters who say that um, they are being retaliated against for the way that they voted in the past by the state in the way that these lines were drawn and kept in place uh, after they were drawn. Um Actually, if you want, we can take you straight into the courtroom. We'll listen to a piece of audio. Um, Listening was basically the only thing I could do in the courtroom. I had a lovely view of a column. (laughs) So uh, if you're listening in your car or while you're cleaning your house, this is exactly my experience, basically. We'll hear argument this morning in case 17-333, Benisek versus Lamone. Mr. Kimberly? Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. All nine justices in Veith against Jubilee agreed that partisan gerrymandering can violate the Constitution. The principal question presented in this case is whether this Court has the Article III authority to do anything about it. We submit that it does under the First Amendment. According to this Court's First Amendment retaliation and ballot access cases, government officials may not single out particular individuals for disfavored treatment on the basis of the views that they have expressed at the ballot box in prior elections. Mr. Kimberly, may I ask you a kind of preliminary question? I, I take it it's, it's much too late, uh, even if you are successful, for there to be any change for the 2018 election. So as you could hear from that audio clip, it did not take long for the justices to hop in and ask questions. They had a lot of questions about a lot of different things. Was it tense? 
Um, it, there were some um, pointed exchanges, but it seemed more in the interest of fact-finding. Mm-hmm. Um, that I kind of tallied up how many times each justice spoke just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> Great use of time there. Yes, did we, yes, yes. Did we get an infographic on that by chance? Not yet. Not, not yet? yet? Okay. That's... Um, but I did, I did tally that they interjected or asked questions about 101 times. Um, Over how long? So the argument was one hour and three minutes. So 101 questions over one hour and three minutes. Yeah. That's less a, than, that's more than a question a minute. It's a smidge of a grilling, yeah. A smidge of a grilling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> that was Justice Ginsburg. She obviously got in the first question and she was asking about whether or not, um, it's, it's even right for the court to be considering the case at this point in time. Mm-hmm. So what's actually up in front of the Supreme Court is a question about whether or not the district court was wrong to decline to enter a preliminary injunction in this case. So what the plaintiffs were originally seeking in the U.S. District Court of Maryland was a preliminary injunction that would have required the state to redraw the map before the 2018 election. Mm-hmm. What they were getting to there is... Is there even time for that? The primary election is in June 26. Like, should we even consider this? Did they ultimately answer that question? No spoiler. No, no spoiler. No spoiler. Um, I mean, it's clear from the questions that the that the judges were asking that is that they're also interested in delving into the merits of this case, mm-hmm. um, regardless of its posture in front of them right now. Uh, uh, from what I understand, Justice Alito got into some things if you want to set up we have another clip this is going to be great we have so many audio clips you're you're getting right into the thick of it everybody right into the thick of it so what justice alito uh, i know is is in the next clip can you kind of set this up for us yeah so the court has has long struggled with the question of partisan gerrymandering they have decided racial gerrymandering they have ways of measuring that of deciding when it's unconstitutional stifling of voices um but they've always as a non-political body the supreme court doesn't want to get into deciding elections right that's what you're going to do if you decide a political gerrymandering case so they've always tread really lightly around this and they've always kind of said oh you know there probably is something that's too much but how do we know and how do we make that justiciable yeah, what, what does that mean? <laughs> and how do you spell that? Oh, golly. Uh, I think it's spelled J-U-S-T-I-C-I-A-V-L-E, but I'm not sure. I'm going to um, look that up. What does that mean, though? So what it means is in order to in order to do this and to do it well and to do it fairly and make it part of American law, you have to have a judicially, a judicially manageable standard that all courts could follow in order to decide these cases Mm -hmm. and that people could kind of look at and see okay we're making this map like do we think it would pass judicial muster so that you know hopefully you don't end up with a kajillion cases in front of the court well let me ask you about your your legal theory then um because I, i probably don't understand it but if i understand it i really don't see how any legislature will ever be able to redistrict. So let's say uh, that a legislature is drawing a a particular map or a particular district. Let's say it's a map, and they say that — and they have two possible plans that they're considering, and they both have very low population deviations, exactly the same. The districts in both are compact. The territory is contiguous. But they say, look, did plan A 
um, gives our party a more than de minimis advantage, and Plan B gives the other party a more than de minimis advantage. So let's pick the one that favors our party. Now, in your view, that's unconstitutional, I gather. Well, if, if what the map drawers are doing is looking at the way that individuals have voted in the past and on that basis attempting to make it more difficult for them to achieve electoral success moving forward, that is the specific intent, and there is a burden imposed as a consequence. Yes. Uh, it, it, it may well be the that — The answer to my question is yes. It, it may well be that that would be a violation. But hasn't this Court said time and again you can't take all consideration of partisan advantage out of districting? So that was Justice Alito. No and patience. I love that. <laughs> I love it. That was Justice Alito and um, the attorney for the plaintiffs, Michael Kimberly, going back and forth about that issue of, like, how much partisan gerrymandering is too much and how do you decide that? Mm-hmm. I'd, what I, I guess, and maybe this is a question we'll get to down the road if we will, then we can just move off of this for now. But if you came up with this now and, and you set something from now until the end of time and you can never gerrymander again, but w- wouldn't that not be reflective in 10, 20 years of the actual population of the people? Oh, wowza. Yeah. So <laughs> there, was a, there was a big back and forth about uh, there are a lot of different ways and different standards and different tests that you can apply. And like, mm-hmm. you know, should the core of the district always say the same? And if the core of the district always stays the same, if the people in the core of the district change, then the district itself changes and does that not uh, interrupt elections or change them um, in a way that could could you know lead to a more partisan map um, and that's kind of what the, what they are stuck deciding this case is different than other uh, partisan gerrymandering cases the court has considered in the past so usually these cases are argued um, under the 14th amendment and the um, equal protection clause this case is argued under the first amendment and a retaliate a retaliation framework so the idea is that it's the stifling of Marylanders' First Amendment right to vote and to be heard at the ballot box because of the way that they voted in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and the test that, in like really basic terms, the test that's proposed in this case is that um, was the primary motivating factor in the way that the districts were drawn politics. Enough. And... And so the judge, the plaintiffs have to prove that. That's what I was just going to say. It seems hard to prove. Well, in this particular case, and we will uh, we will get to that, um, there, there were some pretty uh, just baldly, bald admissions to, to partisan intent through hmm. depositions. So, and that came up. Um, so it's the plaintiff's responsibility to find that information through discovery and prove that this is was just a purely political move. And if the plaintiffs prove that in a judge's point of view, then the the state, the defense, would have to prove that the map would have ended up without would have ended up the same way without any political mm-hmm. considerations. And if they were they were able to prove that, they might prevail. I want to um, be deposed one day. <laughs> I, would, I would. I think that would be fun. And you can go searching through everything that I said. Now, um, there are other gerrymandering cases as well, from what I understand, not just this one. Yeah. So that's what puts um, that's what puts right now in into such an interesting space. So we have the Maryland case. 
that is, you know, a, a Democratic gerrymander. And then the court uh, in October heard a case from Wisconsin, which is a Republican gerrymander. There are differences. The Maryland case, um, you know, is congressional district, one singular. The case has been um, narrowed over time. The Wisconsin case is a challenge to the state's entire legislative map um, as, as a Republican favoring gerrymander. Um, and what a lot of legal experts think is that that gives the court cover to finally make a decision because um, they're going to they could take the two cases, smush them together and come out with something as a result. And um, Justice Breyer actually talked about that uh, more than once. Uh, we have three cases. Uh, one, two, we, we, you know, is Wisconsin, there's Maryland and the one we are holding, I think, is North Carolina. Right. And, and there are, you've read those briefs, probably. Yes. And uh, uh, they all have slight variations on different themes. And I think you're right when you, when you uh, same theme maybe, but variations. And obviously the problem is what you started with. Uh, it seems like a, uh, a pretty clear violation of the, of the Constitution in some form to have deliberate extreme gerrymandering. The court said things like that, but is there a practical remedy that won't get judges involved in every or dozens and dozens and dozens of uh, very important political decisions? Or what would you think of taking the three cases and setting them for re-argument on the question of standard, and there we'd have all three variations in front of us, and we would enable people who have an interest in this subject generally uh, to file briefs, and we'd see them all together. And they could attack each other's standards, or they could support each other's standards, or they could attack any standard. But there we'd have right in front of us the possibilities as, as, as thought through by lawyers and others who have an interest in this subject. So that was uh, Justice Breyer talking to Michael Kimberly, who represented the plaintiffs, and then it didn't take long for him to get back to the same subject as he was talking to Maryland's Solicitor General, um, Stephen Marshall Sullivan. And we'll never have such a record again. I mean, the people who do the gerrymandering are not stupid. And, and they will never have such a record. And therefore, we will not do much to deal with a problem of serious dimensions that is national. All right? So what do we do? Just say goodbye? Forget it? We, and as you know, you've read these briefs. If you think what's happened now is something, wait till you see those computers really working. You've read that. I've read it. Okay, what do you think? I, I had a quick question about that that clip, too. The, the whole computers thing, when he references yes. that, what, what is he talking about? There? So so the maps at issue right now were drawn after the 2010 census, and they were done with computer technology that we had at the 2010 census, right? Or, you know, in 2011, 2012, whenever states were able to get the maps in order. Obviously, we've come a long, long way since then. You can look at your, you know, Facebook memories from seven years ago and tell that <laughs> everything's a lot different. <laughs> is it, though? Um, is it really different? So one of the main concerns is that um, this is going to be able to become much, much more targeted in the future. You could have gerrymandering that's, you know, crazy house by house picking and you know you could really you, you could talk about buying data you could talk about doing all of these things and really maximizing to to an extent that we've never considered before mm -hmm. um 
had a gerrymander and then that was one issue um one of the other things that came up that was very interesting about the test that's being proposed in this case is the idea that the plaintiffs would have to prove um, that there was political intent Mm -hmm. because in some perverse way that could cause you to like hide, (laughs) hide your intent, like hide Mm -hmm. your motives. Um, So the computers are really at issue. And then before this case, I talked to a legal expert who um, was saying that 2018, 2020 are expected to be wave years, uh, democratic waves. So you could conceivably have situations where Democrats will overtake the Republican gerrymanders in places where they're attempted to be stifled now, and they may end up with the control to undo all of these Republican gerrymanders all across the country, but just turn them into Democratic gerrymanders. And so the question is, you know, what should be done uh, before this next round of censusing while we have all of these cases at the Supreme Court to decide. Was that legal expert Walter Olson? It wasn't, but I did Um, see Walter. (laughs) Yeah, I I noticed. uh, I think I saw him um, being... He was outside on on your Twitter feed yeah. or something. He was speaking, I think. Yeah, there was a rally outside. Yeah. Um, there was a long line to get to the court when I got there. I was late, um, unfortunately. You, late. <laughs> um, you get one chance to go to the Supreme Court and you're late. There's nothing. I, w- I was like two minutes that. late, but I can't tell you how <laughs> frantic I was over that. Um, so there was a long, long line of people waiting to get into the courtroom. There also was a big crowd of people who were interested in just standing outside to voice their opinion on things. So uh, there were a bunch of people who had on costumes of uh, Maryland's different uh, congressional districts. That was oh, that's kind cute. of entertaining. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think that I think if you would have if they would have taken them off, they would have all actually fit together into a map. So they were all in cahoots. Yes, yes, yes. So there was, you know, all of this protesting outside the court, and it was really interesting. Um, Also interesting is what was happening in Annapolis at that point in time. I know Mm -hmm. you're familiar, Colin. Um, But the the House committee that was considering uh, redistricting legislation in the state happened to vote down all of the potential redistricting measures on the same morning that this case was at the Supreme Court. Was that just serendipity? I I don't know the answer to that. Uh, we, you know, we've asked around about it. Um, mm-hmm. There is still one like final chance at a state law potentially this year. Um, it is the multi-state redistricting compact that we've talked about so much <laughs> on this podcast. Um, and so I was asking about that yesterday. So that's a bill that was passed by the General Assembly in 2017 and vetoed by Governor Hogan. Mm-hmm. So this year, the legislature could have taken up a veto override vote on it. On the first day of session, when we already knew that this case was going to go to the Supreme Court, on the first day of session, um, the veto override vote was scheduled for April 9th, which oh. is the last day of session. <laughs> so, um, you know, I caught up with the bill sponsor and Senate President Mike Miller earlier this week and asked them what they think might happen. Um, the Senate president said that there needs to be a national standard set by the Supreme Court. And so, you know, we need to just wait and see what they have to say. Um, the bill sponsor was was noncommittal. Um and for an interesting reason, he said it, it's Senator Craig Zucker from Montgomery County. And he said the whole point in doing a multi-state redistricting effort and in picking six states that have different partisan makeups was to make it nonpartisan in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
you know, Republicans in the state of Maryland um, really advocated against that bill on the floor. It was vetoed by a Republican governor. Um, they would prefer to see Maryland just move forward. They think they think um, the six state thing is just a sham. Like you won't get all six states to agree. So it's a do nothing bill. Um, I do. I do remember talking about that. A do nothing bill. A do nothing bill. Yes. But um, you know, Senator Zucker talked a lot about the fact that he actually really had high hopes that it would be a bipartisan effort. So we'll have to wait and see if that bill might end up getting uh, an override vote later this session. I, that'll be that'll be very dramatic coming down to the very last day. I want, however, briefly, I want to go back to the protesters again. I. I I think it's sort of odd to protest something like this. I I feel are there were there people? I would on... say they were demonstrators. Okay, yeah. so they were all on the same. Were they all on the same side? I think the 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 vocal group that that w- you would notice when mm-hmm. you were walking by the courthouse steps were were anti gerrymandering groups. Okay. And it was interesting. There were people from both parties, both political parties out there. This isn't um, you know one party or another thing. Mm. And especially if if. If you are a Democrat and you care about gerrymandering as a nationwide issue, you want the Supreme Court to rule against Maryland's Democratic favoring map. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's it's a really interesting situation. Uh, a lot of stuff. Situation. It's very, very, very layered. Um, I think we have one more audio clip left, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and Justice Kagan had some tough questions yeah so what you were talking about earlier the political intent and and you know uh, how obvious it was or wasn't in this case um justice kagan gets into that uh, pretty specifically well mr sullivan let's say you're right that they have not shown us how much is too much that they have suggested that in any form when uh, uh there's partisan advantage the courts should be intervening but we don't have to say something like that to deal with this case, because however much you think is too much, this case is too much. I mean, I think, you'll tell me I'm wrong, but uh, as Justice Sotomayor said, you know, um, from the governor, from uh, Congressman Hoyer, people were very upfront about what they were trying to do here, which was to create another Democratic district. And they did that. Only 10,000 people had to be removed from this district as a result of one person, one vote. Uh, what, what the Maryland legislature did was to shuffle 360,000 people out and bring in 350,000 people. The result of that is that the district went from 47 percent Republican and 36 percent Democratic to exactly the opposite, 45 percent Democratic and 34 percent Republican. I mean, how much more evidence of partisan intent could we need? She got a laugh with the too much. She got um, a laugh. There were there were five laughs. I don't know if I already yeah, said that. So. <laughs> we talked about that off air. For those, yeah. for those keeping track at home. So can you just talk a little bit about what she had to say there and, and kind of, I'm, I'm assuming this is a chronological, the clips are chron- chronological. No, we, no, I moved them around a okay. little bit. Yeah. Well, was this later or earlier in the well, this is this is to um, uh, Stephen Sullivan, who was defending mm-hmm. the state of Maryland. So yeah. this was kind of partway through partway through the hearing. Okay, and and so what ultimately ends up coming from? I mean, after an hour and three minutes, I think you said. Yeah. Hour and three minutes, one hundred and one <laughs> questions. What what now? Now we wait. 
<laughs> you, just, you just wait. So, so the term for the Supreme Court ends in June, and uh, people think that uh, they're going to sit and think about this case probably for for quite some time. As you could hear, you know, Justice Breyer was talking about whether or not this could be considered alongside other cases, and that's not really a, a maneuver that the Supreme Court has done before. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, how they would go about doing that. The way that he suggested was that they redocket the cases um, for kind of a, I guess, a placeholder of of standing, whether or not the cases have standing to come before the court. And if you can get them back docketed on something, you could rehear things. Um, I don't know if the court will go that way. It's really hard to say. Um, if, if, for instance, you mentioned there were three Frederick County people who were there, um, let's say that those the three Frederick County people and whomever they're associated with wins or, you know, mm-hmm. what happens then? It, it all depends on the way that the Supreme Court writes up that opinion. Okay, so, so that's going to get in. Yeah. So, you know, it's there on a preliminary injunction, but they also uh, considered the merits. So it's it's unclear. I was talking to our good friend, Walter Olson, friend of the podcast. <laughs> friend of the podcast. <laughs> and um, he was saying that... A lot of times when when justices or courts or judges are presented with these massive, massive issues, what they tend to do is actually pick out a narrow little sliver Mm -hmm. to decide to decide on. Like, oh, we're going to decide this issue and just issue the opinion on that one thing Mm -hmm. and kind of leave the other things standing out there. Mm -hmm. It's really unclear if that's what they're going to do this time around. Um, You know, Justice Breyer and other people have conveyed to me that this really does feel like a moment um, when when this might be resolved on a greater level, but we just have to to wait and see. I think the one thing that has become clear is that uh, this will not affect Maryland's 2018 primary. I I don't anticipate that they'll make any decision quick enough for that. And what makes that really interesting is that it then anything, any change that could be mandated by this court or if the case is remanded to the district court, any change that could be made by the court would be made to the 2020 map, mm-hmm. which would be the last map used in this cycle because mm-hmm. the census is in 2020. So by 2022, we'd have a different map to work from anyhow. We're going, ah, so it could just we could just wait, we could just wait forever. That it seems like an impossible thing to, to reconcile, but that could just be me being cynical. I, I mean, don't know. this is an issue that's come before the court for years and years, and, and maybe this is the year it gets decided. What was your favorite thing about going to the Supreme Court? Oh, uh, I, you know, I really, really loved working in the press room. It was really, <laughs> really, really neat. Like, I loved seeing all the, the big time reporters and hanging out with them. <laughs> Hey, can um, you give me some coffee? Did you say that to anybody? No, definitely not. Um, I was on the ground for a good part of the day, and then people would kind of leave over time. And so I finally got myself on a folding table. That was Ooh. lovely. And, you know, a place to plug in my computer. Yeah. Somebody taught me where to go get coffee and then smuggle it out of the cafeteria, which was very necessary. <laughs> How long were you there? Oh, I was there forever because I was I was also working on some other stories. So I was actually the last person to leave the press room. <laughs> wow, that's probably good. You could have stolen things and people oh, wouldn't golly, have Oh, golly, never. No. <laughs> actually, I think I left them with a gift. I think I left one of my phone cords there. So oh, someone's great. got a free iPhone charging cord. <laughs> Somebody's got a, a free iPhone uh, charger. You know, how, just quickly, listening to the justices, they seem pretty no-nonsense. They seem pretty like, and like you said, the, just this, the stat alone, 101 questions in an hour and three minutes, it's they are willing, they want to get in 
everything they want to know. Yeah. So that's a really super unofficial count. There's like a lot of crosstalk and, mm-hmm. um, you know, somebody will try to ask a question and they'll get the whole question out, but somebody else will get in a whole question before the person gets to answer. So like, does that count? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but they, you know, they interjected 101 times. They like yeah. added something to the conversation or pressed for an answer. Um, one of my favorite like things that probably longtime Supreme Court watchers don't get a kick out of because it happens all the time is, you know, a lawyer will be like, I have I have a good answer for that. And it's three parts. If I could just please get through all three parts first. And then there's a different question. <laughs> like they, They're not interested in your three part answer. Yeah, they have no patience. I like it. It's very no nonsense. They, I don't know if it's no patience. I don't know. I, I don't want to speak ill with the justice. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back, Colin. I know you, you, get, you can go back. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be here. But uh, we're glad you went. Yes, me too. I'm glad you had fun. You're going to go back. Yes. Someday. I, I, you know, if they dock at the North Carolina case, I might want to go back and hear that and see how often Maryland comes up in that case. It could be interesting. Danielle, uh, this went great, did it not? <laughs> I think this was fabulous. We did some high-tech things like audio, which we've never <laughs> done before. Uh, but thank you uh, so much for taking the time, and hopefully uh, this uh, sheds some light into what it's like to go to the Supreme Court of all places. Well, thank you, Colin. Thank you.